Welcome to The Family Room, sponsored by Versprite, where we offer hope, encouragement, and wisdom centered on biblical truth and Catholic teaching, because God's kingdom begins at home. Now welcome your hosts, Mari, John, and Craig, right here on AM 1160, The Quest. I'm Mari, and I'm here with my co-hosts, John Gordon and oh. Craig Wiesmeyer. Hey, John. Hey. <laughs> Jump the gun on that. Hey, Craig. Hello there. <laughs> so we've got a pretty heavy topic today, but I think it's a topic where there's a lot of hope if we understand um, what's going on with this topic. Mm -hmm. And it's actually the topic of gender and what's going on in our culture and our society around um, gender dysphoria and um, a lot of what's plaguing our youth. And um, so it's an interesting topic. And I know that we've each got a few thoughts on maybe what's happened with this, what's causing some of this, what what the pain points are around some of this. John, I know you had a thought. Yeah, I think this, what we're going to talk about, is a symptom of a much larger problem in in our world today, and that is many of us have abandoned the concept of an absolute truth, Mm, that there is a definite right and a definite wrong. And once you eliminate that touchstone, then everything is a house of cards. And that includes gender and sex and, and behavior and marriage and everything. I think that's going to become obvious as, as we hear our guest. Yeah. And what about for you, Craig? I mean, I think like any of these topics, you know, we're talking about how you deal with it in today's society. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's really all about being Christ to people, walking with them, understanding maybe why they feel the way they do. Instead of oftentimes being like me that wants to say, well, this is wrong. Here's why it's wrong. And you need to change that. Just loving them, understanding who they are. And that could be very difficult because loving doesn't mean you let people continue to walk in their delusion. Right. Yeah. That's a great point. You know, and to kind of summarize what both of you just said, scripture says it. It says we're supposed to speak the truth in love. Mm-hmm. So you talked about truth, you talked about love, and we're called to speak the truth in love. And I think that there are a lot of people who are searching for meaning, purpose, belonging. All of us have that desire. And so I think sometimes we fall into other options for meaning, purpose, and belonging. So today we're going to be getting a chance to hear from an expert, Jason Everett. And so we're looking forward to talking with him. Before we jump into introducing Jason and bringing him into the show John, as always, would you open us in prayer, please? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come to you with thanks and praise. You are the way, you are the truth, you are the light. And in times like this, there's a lot of people sharing with us things that they would have us believe is truth, and we know that it's not. And so we just ask in this time together with our guest, Jason Everett, that you would pour out your blessings, pour out your wisdom, open our hearts to the gifts of your Holy Spirit, that we might understand the truth, that we might know your way, and that we might be part of your light. Father, we ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. As always, nice job, John. So as we said, folks, we've got Jason Everett, and I know a lot of you have already heard of him. You know him. He's been around. He's spoken here. Awesome Catholic speaker, author of 15-plus books. He is a graduate of the University of Steubenville and does have a master's in theology. He and his wife operate chastity.com. We'll talk more about that later, and that'll be in our show notes. He's actually spoken about chastity on six different continents, and he's married to Kristalina, who some of you may have heard speak. She's got her own show. They have eight children, which is an awesome testimony to uh, theology of the body and his faith. And today we're going to be addressing uh, Jason's new book, Male, Female, Other, A Catholic Guide to Understanding Gender. Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. Everybody has a different faith journey, and I know you went to Steubenville, 
Can you give us and your, our listeners a better sense of your background, your family background in faith, and maybe your journey that brought you to where you are today? Yeah, well, I was raised in a Catholic family, um, was blessed to have a really solid youth group in high school. And so when I went off to college at Franciscan University of Steubenville, um, I got involved in youth ministry, helping out a local youth minister uh, to kind of lead the retreats. And on these retreats, the kids would really open up to me about the stuff they're struggling with, uh, family life, dating, relationships. And I realized, like, wow, they have, like, literally no formation when it comes to human love, distinguishing mm-hmm. love from lust, uh, using a person versus loving somebody. At the same time I was doing that ministry, I was also doing uh, sidewalk counseling, so crisis pregnancy counseling, uh, at an abortion clinic in Pittsburgh. And I did that for three years, and I just started feeling really late. Like, why am I meeting this woman when she's having an abortion in 45 minutes? Like, why couldn't I have met her when she was 15 years old? Mm Because maybe if I would met her then and she understood Mm -hmm. chastity, maybe she never would have dated this guy to begin with and be in this difficult situation today. So I realized that I I felt like I was— kind of throwing sandbags on the banks of a flooded river when there's a dam broken upstream a quarter mile away. And I thought, well, why am I just focusing on the supply of abortion? Why, don't, why doesn't anyone address the demand for it, which is coming from unchastity? And so at this time, I was learning the theology of the body from John Paul II, and I started sharing that with the high school kids on the retreats. And I don't know, they're just eyes lit up. And it, it wasn't this finger-wagging, shame-based, fear-tactic approach of abstinence. It was really the understanding of this virtue of chastity that frees you to love and frees you to know if you're authentically being loved. So I got hired by Catholic Answers right out of college to do apologetics and evangelization. I told, look, my heart, though, is with the young people. I want to be with the high school, college kids. And I started speaking at more high schools, universities, and parishes, and it really snowballed quickly to the point where it was 100,000 kids a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after the talks, the kids would line up with these questions, and I just started thinking, man, we need to give them a resource to answer them. So we'd come out with one chastity book, and then it would be questions just the girls had. So we came out with books for the girls, and then it was questions on pornography, on this, on that. And so gradually we've created all of these new resources to address the concerns they're having, you know, which leads us to the current topic of gender, that in the last five years, it seems like there's been this kind of hockey stick acceleration mm-hmm. of the questions on what does it even mean to be human. And when I'm seeing it, it literally almost every Catholic school I'm going to, let alone the public schools. But I mean, the Catholic schools, junior highs, where the administrators are like, yeah, we've got seven kids in the grade school that identify as trans, and we're trying to navigate through that. And we We'll talk to the priest, but he didn't learn about this stuff in seminary. And we'll talk to the principal. What's our policy? Well, we don't have a policy. Well, let's ask the diocese. Hey, Bishop, what's our policy? Well, we don't have a policy. And everybody's just kind of scrambling and doing damage control. And I thought, wow, we really just need a resource that can answer the questions that these families are wrestling with, answer the questions that college kids are going through when they have to take some gender studies class. They have no idea how to address these objections. And so... That's where we're at now is trying to give answers, and we created this book uh, to give those answers to the families, to the priests, the educators, and even to the people themselves who may be wrestling with gender dysphoria. That's great. Thanks. Yeah, that's amazing. So at this point, you know, you've been doing this for over 20 years. You've talked to millions of young people, high school students, college students, and and as you said, 
each of your new books has come out because of things that they're telling you. So at this point, it sounds like this new book has come out not just because of what you're hearing the, the kids say, but also what you're hearing from the parents and from their their whole the whole culture around them. People don't know how to answer their questions at all. Are there specific things you're starting to hear from the kids who line up to talk to you these days that really flipped a switch in your mind and said, oh my gosh, this is, this is the new dam that's been broken, right? This is something that's brand new and I'm starting to get questions from these kids that I've never heard before. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I was speaking at a high school down in Dallas, Texas, and the boy came up and introduced himself after the talk and said that he's trans. And we, we started talking about a very pleasant conversation for a long time. And I started asking him questions about his life and his family. And, you know, he explained he's got two older sisters, two younger sisters, and they can really do no wrong. I mean, they're doted upon and loved and fawned over. But him, I mean, he's in jujitsu, he's on the swim team, he's got straight A's, but nothing he does is ever good enough. And he's the black sheep of the family. And I said to him, well, do you think that if you were born a girl, that you would have been loved the way your sisters are loved? And he looked at me and said, I know I would have been. Oh, my gosh. To me, it's like, okay, there we are. What we're doing here is we're listening to the dysphoria. We're not shaming it. We're not telling you, oh, you're a sin for struggling with this. Like, no, we're saying, okay, where is this coming from? Like, what is the deeper, legitimate, unmet ache or need Mm -hmm. that this ideology is promising you that is going to answer? And so we've got to, instead of just telling kids, oh, no, gender theory is a heresy, like, we got to listen to their stories and help them to listen to where this dysphoria may be coming from, because more often than not, there's a a legitimate need to find your identity, your community, your mission. And if they're not finding that in the church, they're going to go find it on these online groups on Tumblr and Reddit and YouTube that's giving them their identity. Oh, you don't feel at home in an adolescent girl's body? Well, dude, can I just find one adolescent girl who doesn't feel at home in her own body? Okay, sitting in this room, I'm the only one who's ever been an adolescent girl, and I can tell you I was not comfortable in my body as an adolescent girl. And I'm very comfortable now as a older woman. (laughs) Like, I don't know if you saw just just the last couple days, American Girl came out with this magazine for girls starting at ages three and up that explains that, like, if you don't feel completely at home in being a girl, there's a word for that. It's transgender. (gasps) And it's not about necessarily getting surgery. It's just about being your authentic self. Oh, my gosh. And it's like, whoa. It's like, no, 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 no. That's not about being your authentic self. It's about rejecting your authentic self. It's not about affirming the child. It's about affirming their dysphoria. And so, you know, as as Catholics, we've got to let the world know that, like, no, our approach is not one of shame and transphobic fear-mongering. It's loving these kids enough to actually tell them the truth. Yeah. Yeah. That's a perfect segue, Jason, because we hear all kinds of things touted as the truth. And in your work and just what you've recounted here, the truth is really more apparent than many would like it to be. Can you share just some of the things like either debunk uh, some of the theories, but talk about things like sex versus gender and the culture's definition of what's right and wrong versus what we know and had known empirically for a long time, what's right and wrong, the truth. Yeah, I mean, well, well, this is what's tricky is when a person says the word gender, uh, a lot of times we mean different things by that. Mm -hmm. People can be talking past each other uh, because the the word gender comes from the Greek. uh, The the root originally means the manner in which one generates. And, Uh And so that's, in a sense, sex. Right. And the manner in which you generate, the manner in which an organism is organized for reproduction is binary. In other words, there is only two gametes, which are mature reproductive cells, the sperm and the egg. That's it. There's no spectrum. There's no third gamete. There's no in between. It's one or the other. And granted, there can be disorders of sexual development, but these are not third and fourth 
sexes, so to speak. Correct. And so biologically, you know, we are a sexually dimorphic species. And so originally, that was very tied into the word gender, the manner in which we generate. Uh, get to the Middle Ages, and the word gender in the English language began being used in grammar that that noun could be masculine, feminine, or neuter. You're talking about the gender of a word. And historically, that's the way in which it's been used. About the 15th, 16th century, the word gender started being used synonymously with sex, but it was still predominantly used for grammar. Um, Then enter the 20th century, about the mid-20th century, we had Dr. John Money, who was a very sick uh, and broken individual uh, who believed that, you know, pornography could be helpful to a marriage, um, incest could even be helpful to a marriage because it takes the burden of being the man's only outlet off of the wife. I mean, the man was a mm-hmm. really broken uh, individual, and he started promoting the idea of gender roles, that, you know, you could assign sex to a kid at birth, but then, you know, if they have a intersex condition, you can raise them with a different gender role. And so that idea of gender role came about in the 1950s, and the feminists jumped on that, and gender is now a social construct. Um, But nowadays, when people say the word gender, they're not talking about any of that. They're not talking about gender roles. They're not talking about gender as grammar. They're not even talking about gender as sex. Sometimes you say a gender reveal party. I mean, we're talking about the sex of the baby. But predominantly, the word gender today is being referred to as this inner sense of self, that my gender identity, what I feel as a male, a female, uh, both or neither or somewhere in between, that's my true self, my perception of my gender identity, which is not only distinct from sex, but can be altogether divorced from sex. Mm. And that's where the church would say, now we've gone too far. You could distinguish gender in the sense of a a sociological way in which masculinity or femininity are expressed in the culture. Okay. But to divorce gender from sex is to untether our body from our identity. Mm -hmm. And if my identity is not anchored in the body, then our identity has to anchor onto something. And so it's going to attach to our personality. But the problem is there's as many personalities as there are persons. And as a result, everybody will be entitled to their own personal right. gender. And that's wow. what we're seeing with 18 genders, 27 yeah. genders, 57, 58, uh, endless, infinite numbers of genders that some universities will talk about. That's where this is coming from. This is an untethering of our identity from our body. So it's essentially a Gnostic, dualistic idea say, yeah. that I'm not my body. But yeah. nothing new under the sun. It sounds like dualism. Yep. That's all it is. Yep. It's rehash. Wow. And so gender is actually at this point, it's a belief system. It's it's what we believe about ourselves, not... Yeah, it's, it's your self-perception. Or how yeah. you feel. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I remember listening to an interview, and I can't remember where it was, so I, I won't try to quote it, but I, I remember the interviewer recounting that a person identified their gender, I'm going to get the terminology wrong, but it was like squishy or fluffy or, or flamboyant or something like that. And it was like a kind of a personality thing. That was their gender. It was just a complete misunderstanding of, of what it is. Wow. Well, I mean, that is translating now into kids being Furbies, right? They're animals, and oh, yeah. we're, we're feeding into that whole system yeah. as well. But what, what I like about what you said, which is interesting, is because there is truth. Truth is tied to science, you know, I mean, true science. You mentioned earlier the, the doctor that was kind of broken, and I know our sexuality a lot has come out of Kinsey's studies, and if you understood who Kinsey was, his interviews were all pedophiles in prison and things like that. So the research we're getting is not valid. However, in writing your book, you've spoken with scientists, physicians, 
that seem to be grounded in truth. And I know you did a podcast with, and forgive me if I get her name wrong, Dr. Michelle Cretella on Lust is Boring. What are some of the critical things you've derived from her and from your studies talking about puberty blockers, talking about what the results of that are? What is the science really saying in your research? Yeah, well, what the culture is telling the young people is that if you don't feel at home in your own body or you feel a discordance or an incongruence between your body and your identity, then step number one would be social transitioning, changing your name, your bathrooms, your clothing to kind of kind of ease your dysphoria. And, but you might want to take it a step further, which would be puberty blockers. Now, this is often the drug, Lupron, that's given to chemically castrate male sex offenders, and they're giving it the eight, nine, ten-year-old kids telling, well, we're just putting a pause button on puberty to give you more time to decide if this is the right change for you. But this is not a pause button. This is a fast-forward button to cross-sex hormones. Because literally almost 100% of the time when a kid goes on puberty blockers, they'll eventually move on to cross-sex hormones. But when you go from puberty blockers to cross-sex hormones, you are sterilized for the rest of your life mm. if you go from one to the other. And then when the girl goes on T, testosterone, her risk of heart disease quadruples. I mean, the levels of testosterone in her body is the equivalent of an androgen-secreting tumor. And mm -hmm. so we're inducing states of illness into the children, telling them, now you can be your authentic self. You'll feel more at home in your body. And then if they don't think that the puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones are enough, and this is a lifelong medicalization. I mean, if mm -hmm. a girl wants to keep up a masculine appearance, she has to take these for the rest of her life. And so, I mean, we're talking millions of dollars, you know, through insurance, what will be paid to these pharmaceutical companies if they get one patient for life, let alone if they want to go on to the surgeries, some of which can cost up to six figures mm -hmm. for these surgeries. And they say, well, you know, insurance should cover it because this is a, you know, a diagnosable mental health condition of gender dysphoria. But then they go on to get the surgeries, top surgery, whatever. And the ages, I mean, it's mind boggling in the state of Oregon. If a girl wants to get a tattoo in Portland and she's 20 years old with a little flower on her ankle, she can't because they say, well, she's not intellectually mature enough to make that decision with informed consent that she could regret getting that tattoo on her ankle. Same thing if she's 17 years old and wants to use a tanning salon. You can't use a tanning salon when you're 17. Oh, but you're 15 and you think you're non-binary? Well, you can get a radical double mastectomy without your parents' permission at the age of 15 throughout the entire state of Oregon. They're giving double mastectomies to 12-year-olds in Oakland, 13-year-olds in Los Angeles, telling them now you'll feel at home in your own body. And then these girls turn 24, 25 years old, and they look down at their scars and they say, what? did I do? What did you adults let me do? And they're suing the pants off these clinics and they're winning. Mm. If you get on Reddit, one of the subreddits is DTrans. There's more than 43,000 members of this thread that identify as detransitioners. They've gone through the whole thing and then now they're screaming from the rooftops, don't do it. The problem is not, you were not born into the wrong body. You were born into the wrong culture. A culture yeah. that yeah. taught you hurt your body to be your authentic self because after the surgeries within about a decade their suicide rate becomes 19 times higher than the general population and yeah. so the church's teachings is not one of hate and bigotry 
but love and speaking the truth that this is not the answer. Yeah. And, you know, and parents want to love their children. And basically there's fear mongering going out there for the parents, right? They're being bullied into let your children do this in states where the parents do have to sign off. They're going to to the people who they thought they could trust, like psychologists, like physicians, and they're saying, what do I do for my child? And they're being told, oh my gosh, your child is going to be suicidal. So if you do not let them transition, if you do not follow this new form of therapy, which actually isn't really therapy, it's it's, uh, causing your... Yeah, it's child abuse. It is child abuse. Yeah, if you don't follow this, your children will be suicidal. And so parents are afraid because they think, if I don't do this, my child is going to be suicidal. But you're telling us the statistics are actually the opposite, Jason. Is that right? Oh, yeah. I mean, you look at the studies when the girl starts going on the cross-sex hormones, her rates of self-harm go up. And so Mm -hmm. the suicide narrative is an extremely powerful one. Well, they'll tell the parents, like, well, you would you either like to have a live daughter or a dead son? Yeah. In other words, yeah. go along with this, or you're the one putting your child's life at risk. And it is true that children who experience gender dysphoria do have a higher suicide risk. Where this is coming from is that when you look at the population of people who commit suicide, 90% of them have a diagnosable mental health disorder. Mm. And more often than not, when a young person experiences gender dysphoria, that's one point in a constellation mm. of mental health challenges or trauma in that kid's life. About 40% of the girls who identify as trans are also autistic, high-functioning autism. You've got anxiety, oftentimes history of family dynamics, of insecure attachment. You've got all kinds of stuff going on. I know one anesthesiologist And he's told the doctors at this hospital, don't even ask me to give anesthesia to one of your patients if you want to give them some gender affirmation surgery. He said, look, I've looked at the medical charts. I see the autism, the depression, the abuse, the trauma. And he said to put these kids under the knife, promising them that this is going to fix it all. He said that is malpractice and I will have nothing to do with it. You are collaborating with a mental illness at this point instead of actually treating it. And that's why hormones and surgery are not the answer to mental health issues. Uh, What's needed is for them to listen to the dysphoria. And 80% of the time, when a kid experiences gender dysphoria, they will naturally come to identify with their biological sex on their own. And that's why if you try to go to a place like the Netherlands, Finland, Sweden right now, they're backing off now. It's hard to get these drugs now because they realize, wait a minute, by putting these kids on puberty blockers, we're actually stopping the process that leads to resolution in the least harmful way. And these are the countries that pioneered it, and now they're reeling it back, whereas America is one of the few that's dumb enough to keep running and putting the pedal to the metal because we haven't had enough lawsuits. But trust me, they're coming, and they're coming fast. As you think about this from a family room perspective, uh, Jason, what guidance can you give us or our listeners to say, all right, We've talked about the truth. We've talked about these things. Can you help us get our head wrapped around conversations that families should have, parents to children, children to parents? As you got ahead of the curve from the abortion clinic to chastity, how can we get ahead of the curve? Well, one thing is like when your kids are young, praise their gender. Like think when you do nighttime prayers, thank you, Jesus, for making Joseph a boy. You know, and that we pray that one day he would be big and strong like daddy or whatever. Like so you're affirming them. And also like even if your kid engages in behavior or interest that might be gender non-conforming, where hey, my son's really into plays and theater, go cheer for him. Mm-hmm. Show up. You know, like show him that he can be the man who God has created him to be. 
without having to fit into some narrow, stereotypical, rigid box of what a boy has to be. Girl likes to play with trucks and guns. Go to the shooting range with her. Amen. You know, so she can realize, okay. You know, I, I read one feminist. She said, a woman is a person with a female body and any personality, not a person with a female personality and any body. Oh, that's and great. So, that's really good. So what we've got to do is help them to realize that if you look at gender stereotypes, they try to get a person to conform your personality to fit into your body, right. meaning your body is female, so you better be into this and that. And if you're a male body, you got to be into shooting deer and drinking beer and watching NASCAR. Gender theory makes the opposite mistake. It tries to get a person to conform their body to match their personality. Mm. And we've got to be able to explain the world is a big enough place for us not have to fit into these narrow stereotypical boxes. And this explains why a lot of the girls are getting the mastectomies, are identifying as non-binary. They call it rapid onset gender dysphoria, where these teenage girls are like, it's too much to fit into this Instagram image of womanhood. I'm out of here. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily that they want to be a boy. They just don't want to be a girl. And so they find a home in these titles of non-binary or right. whatever. And, you know, Abigail Schreier wrote a terrific book on this called Irreversible Damage. I really recommend that to any parents who may have an adolescent girl that's toying with these thoughts. But as parents, you got to be on top of it. Your kid's going to, like, especially a public school, and they're teaching this garbage from kindergarten, like, either – Sound the alarm to all the parents. Get your kid out of that school and homeschool them if you need to or a good Catholic school. Move if you've got to move. But it, it, these kids are having these questions. And if their school is sold out with this ideology, time to find a new school as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and, you know, you mentioned the book Irreversible Damage, and that was the one that really opened my eyes to a lot of the statistics around this that we're not hearing. You know, you stated the statistic a few minutes ago that 80% of the time it's going to resolve on its own. What alarmed me was that this is attack on women. This is also, mm -hmm. this is really attack on Clearly. women because the original folks who dealt with gender dysphoria were originally mostly young boys or men. And the number of women was very, very low. But now that the numbers have totally shifted and it's young women. And her point is the whole issue of this is kind of a that adolescent uh, angst that people go through. Mm -hmm. You know, in the Middle Ages, they might have had fainting spells. I know my mm -hmm. generation, there was a lot of bulimia and anorexia when you had this this angst going on. The next generation was a lot of cutting that was going on. So these t social contagions that are really hitting mm -hmm. our girls. And now the social contagion is not cutting or anorexia, which the mental health profession recognized was negative. It's this transgender dysphoria thing going on and this gender dysphoria. And so what's happening is that girls are, instead of being helped by physicians and clinicians and psychologists, they're being led into the uh, dysphoria in terrible ways. Oh, yeah. It's a whole new form of the old thing of self-harm that's endorsed by the medical and educational communities. And yeah. so we've got to speak up and not be afraid as parents, as educators, in our workplaces, because a lot of people are not in agreement with this ideology. Yeah. They're just afraid if they speak up, they're going to get fired. We have to go into a break right now. So you're getting a lot of truth and wisdom from Jason Everett and his new book, Male, Female, Other, A Catholic Guide to Understanding Gender. We'll be right back inside the family room in moments. Sponsored by Versprite on The Quest. In today's world, cybersecurity is critical for your business. Award-winning Versprite provides solutions to protect your company from hackers. For protection now, see Versprite.com. That's V-E-R-Sprite.com. The Quest thanks Versprite for their support. The Quest presents Pro-Life Minutes. Healthcare providers should care about health, right? 
Why then has Planned Parenthood's actual women's health care services dropped over 72% in the last 10 years? Abortion is not health care. Abortion kills. Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion provider in the United States with 700 abortion facilities. And in the 2019 fiscal year, they ended 345,672 innocent American lives. This is an increase of 13,000 in the last year and 25,000 over the last two years. To put that in context, that is about half the population of Washington, D.C. Why then does the United States government continue to send the millions of taxpayer dollars in funding and grants year after year? If we don't stop them, no one will. Let's love God by loving life. Show the world that every life matters by speaking up for life at every opportunity. For more homegrown wisdom, visit thequestatlanta.com. Here at The Quest, we often hear how our programs touch hearts and change lives. Now more than ever, people need to hear the truth and beauty of the Catholic faith. As a 100% listener-supported station, The Quest relies on monthly donations to stay on the air. Please consider making a monthly donation to The Quest and help us continue to provide inspiring Catholic programming. Monthly donors are the lifeblood of the station. Visit thequestatlanta.com to donate. Thank you for your support. Hi, this is AJ with The Quest. Did you know that we are on a mission to invite, inform, and inspire listeners like you? We want you to embrace your journey and take one step closer to God by not only listening, but engaging with us. In fact, we could use your help with making this vision a reality. I ask you to prayerfully consider joining us as a missionary to help with volunteer tasks at our studio in Roswell, Georgia. If you feel called to help and would like to learn more, please send us an email at info at thequestatlanta.com. Does your parish, charitable organization, or ministry have an upcoming event that you'd like to promote? Advertise it on AM 1160, the Quest Community Calendar. It's easy and there's never a fee. Just visit thequestatlanta.com, click on events, and submit your activity or event. Enhance the success of your community outreach event. Take advantage of the Quest Atlanta's complimentary community calendar and gain more exposure to the Metro Faith community. Submit your event at thequestatlanta.com today. St. Joseph was a man of few words. In fact, not a single word of his was recorded in Scripture. But the Father of Jesus spoke abundantly in his silence, and he certainly gave us a lot to talk about. Want to go deeper? Listen to the St. Joseph series on your Quest app and on thequestatlanta.com. We're back in the family room, sponsored by Versprite. Right here on AM 1160, The Quest. You're talking to Jason Everett who is a Catholic speaker and author, and a number of you may have known Jason because of his chastity project and all of his work around chastity, and he's addressing a new issue that many of us are hearing about, and he's got a brand new book out called Male, Female, Other, A Catholic Guide to Understanding Gender. And so we are so thankful to have Jason with us today. And Jason, before the break, you gave us some great information, um, and we're going to make sure that we will put in our show notes a number of the links to the items that you shared with us as well. But it's time for tradition. It is. Go for it, John. Uh, There is a tradition here, Jason, that all of our guests share coming out of the break, their favorite family room memory. So that can be a memory in the family room and in the family of, I guess it's, what, nine in your household or as you were growing up, but a family room memory, 10. Yeah. That's why you have eight children, eight children. Okay, yeah, yeah. So we've got eight kids, but my own, I think, personal family room favorite memory growing up as a kid. I've got one brother, one sister. I would say it was just the consistency of family dinners. Mm. Um, 
and, and it wasn't some remarkable, like, oh, boy, that was like the favorite moment of my life. But just the consistency of it, like whether you're down the street riding a bike with your friend at six o'clock, boom, family dinner, family dinner, yeah. family dinner. It was just it was just this pillar of stability, of connection that's so easily ruptured today with streams and commitments and sports and this is and that where everybody's running off and doing their own thing. And so to me, that, that was kind of uh, now looking back of just like, wow, that was just an, a, an anchor point where we could all just kind of connect at the end of the day. And, you know, and honestly, I don't remember a single meaningful life-changing conversation that ever happened at the dinner. <laughs> okay. um, it was just the fact that there were conversations. And know, that was life-changing. Yeah. Or sustaining, life-sustaining. Yeah, great. Mm-hmm. Awesome. You know, well, thank you. Sit down. The kids have their phones. I saw some young adults that started something. So whenever we go out into the community to eat as young adults, we take all our phones and we pile them in the middle of the table. And the first person to grab their phone has to pay everybody's dinner bill. Ooh, Bingo. Love it. Awesome. We do that at work. Like you have to put everybody's $20 bill in the pot and their cell phone. And whoever touches their phone first, you know, they, they got to pay everybody that and their $20 back. Really? It's very effective. So it's, it's nice to hear that um, the basics are still relevant today. Question I had for you, Jason, and you and I had, actually, I was blessed to have lunch with you not long ago. And I think whether it's the political narrative or this narrative, you made a point saying that there's a lot of narration around the issue. And we keep talking to the issue, pointing fingers, saying, well, you're not using science. That's wrong. I'm using this you know, ideology. But yet those kids, I'll use that word, you know, those kids that are living that reality are being left behind. People yeah. aren't really addressing them. Can you talk to that? Maybe a few more examples of kids you've spoken to where you're like, here's really what's going on in their hearts because I was at least willing to listen to them. Yeah. You know, as you said, the analogy that sometimes came to mind for me when it comes to the way even the church is sometimes addressing this whole issue is viewing it as an ideology that needs to be exposed and defeated, defeated and conquered. And, you know, there's an element of truth to that. There is a culture war element of this. But these kids are not culture warriors. They're the casualties of the mm. culture war. Mm. And so the image that comes to mind is like the left and the right just bickering over these things. It's almost like a husband and a wife having some argument in a shouting match while the kid is sitting at their feet feeling completely invisible and ignored and traumatized. And so I think we've got to just hit a pause button on all the bickering and spend some time actually listening to the people who either identify as trans or experience gender dysphoria and hear their stories of where they're coming from and help them to listen to their own stories. Because when parents don't know how to do this, I remember meeting the dad and his son and the boy wanted to transition and the dad didn't know what to do. And he had talked to them for a while. And the dad said to me when the boy wasn't around, he said, look, I think I'm just going to let the kid go through the surgery, and that way when he grows up and he regrets it, that can be his punishment. Oh, my gosh. And I'm like, Classic. no, like you wouldn't even let a doctor cut your kid's toe off, but you're going to let them go through with this? Like, you're not going to stick up? And, yeah, obviously it creates tension, you know, and, and hostility and resentment sometimes when you won't sign off on the ideology or you won't use their preferred pronoun. But to me, oftentimes they can find a lot of people that will endorse whatever they want to believe. But there's a pretty short supply of people who will actually hold on to their hand while holding on to reality and not letting go of either one that can actually speak the truth to them in love. And so in order to do this, I think what we first have to do, instead of thinking, what's the perfect argument, I could show them that there's only two types of gametes. We got to just put it down and just just listen to them. Tell me your story. 
And when they start opening up, like, wow, that must have been hard to share that with me. I'm sorry that you've held that for so long, feeling that if you told me that I'd freak out or yell at you, when did this start happening in your life? What was going on in your life at that time? And when does the dysphoria feel most difficult? Is it like when you wear, what you wear, is it more like social surroundings or is it stereotypes you're expected to conform to? Like, tell me more. And so instead of just trying to enter into a debate that you can try to win, take a deep breath, don't freak out, and just try to listen. Because if the only people willing to listen to them are the people that are going to like bring them to a gender clinic and give them cross-sex hormones, then why would they even want to spend time in the church if they don't even know that there's room for them in the church as they navigate these difficult questions? Yeah, that's great. That's valid because I think we do forget that, right? We want to prove somebody wrong or we want to get into a debate because we want to bring truth. Yeah. But we're not walking with people. Yeah. Right. As you shared the earlier story, uh, Jason, about the, the young man who, and his two sisters, the thought came to my mind is like, okay, what does, where we have scenarios where people choose to be by weird names or animals or, you know, I'm gopher or whatever it is. The question I, I heard you ask is, well, what does gopher have or what do you expect gopher to have that you don't have? Mm-hmm. And what's missing? And it sounds like you're probing toward that versus just saying, hey, bro, you're not a gopher, right? Yeah, I saw a guy on uh, YouTube. uh, I think his name is Ted. He lives in England or somewhere in the U.K., and he identifies as a parrot. Mm. And he's cut his ears off. He's tattooed even the whites of his eyes. He has constructed his house to look like a birdcage. He lives with them. He eats their food. And he just said one thing in passing in the interview. He said, look, he said, you can't trust people like you can trust parents. <laughs> and a lot of people just look at him and laugh, like, oh, what a freak of nature. But it's like, wait a minute, there's something in that. Right there. Right there. Mm-hmm. That's kind of entry point we got to go into. Like, what, what made you distrust people? What made you find a home amongst these, you know, creatures? You know, feeling that that's a better place for you. And so it's so easy to write somebody, that's ah, crazy, that's illogical, that guy's a nut. It's like, no, that's the person that's probably had some profound hurt in their life that yeah. hasn't had someone to accompany them. And instead of just trying to fix them and convince them they're not a parrot, they need to maybe just walk with that person, go have a beer with them at the pub down the street, and just talk to the guy and be in his life. Right. So I think that's, that's what they need more than anything is not some airtight apologetic argument. It's just a genuine friend. Right, exactly. And you've, you've said a number of times that we are called to accompany people in truth and love. Um, you know, and I think that people who are on the other side of the belief around gender dysphoria and the transgender ideology, they're trying to love them, too, but mm-hmm. they're not necessarily loving them with the same truth, truth yeah. you know, with truth, with there is only one truth, with truth. So we're both loving. And so I think we need to remember, don't get angry, as you said, don't get frustrated, don't get angry, just listen and love. Because if we don't accompany them in truth and love, they're going to instead be accompanied by and propagandized by this culture. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I know a lot of the studies show, what you've talked about is that the kids, they're not feeling accepted. They're not feeling um, wanted. They're not heard in their own families. They feel like they don't fit in with anybody else in school. So they're going into this online world. And this is in the online world where they're finding people who claim to love them, who claim to have truth for them, who claim to help them figure out what they're really feeling and saying, oh, you're feeling this way. This is what this means for you. So for Mm -hmm. those parents who are out there who are saying, well, I really want to make sure I put some guardrails around my children to help them in the midst of this cultural storm that they're dealing with. um, What can you offer? What can you share with the parents of of what they can do? Yeah. If you go to our website, chastity.com 
slash gender, you'll find a page where we house all of our resources on this topic of gender. And, you know, there's a link to get the book or pre-order. But then below that, you've got YouTube videos, interviews that we've done, podcasts, links to organizations that are out there to support parents whose kids are wrestling with gender dysphoria. Now, look, you don't have to go to a gender clinic. and In fact, you want to avoid those places that will typically only present one pathway of intervention being transitioning. And I know a lot of parents are in difficult situations because they might want to find a counselor in their state to help the kids, but more than a dozen states have laws in place that if the counselor tries a therapeutic approach to get the child to align their identity with their body, you could lose your license to practice as a counselor. And so sometimes you have to set up Zoom counseling out of state because the counselor's like, well, look, if I try to walk with this kid and, and help him to avoid the puberty blockers, I could get reported and I could end up losing my license. So on the website, chastity.com slash gender, we've got links to advocacy groups, even legal teams that can assist parents. Because in some states, you could lose custody of your child if you refuse to give them puberty blockers. Oh and gosh. the system will treat the parent like you're the one that could get your kid to cause suicide because you're not affirming their true identity when you're the only one that is affirming the child's true identity. Mm -hmm. And so you might need legal teams, you might need some pediatric medicine specialists or whatever, all that stuff you're going to be able to find at that link, chastity.com slash gender. Right. That's and awesome. You also mentioned, um, I know you talked a lot about Covenant Eyes too, so that parents can okay. actually know where their kids are going online too. Yeah, yeah. CovenantEyes.com is an artificial intelligence accountability kind of software that you can install on your kids' iPhone, their MacBook, their PC, or whatever. Um, because a lot of kids are tech savvy and they'll just erase their internet history or use some like anonymizer, you know, website to get the bad websites. Covenant Eyes will track all that stuff and send you screenshots of any bad images that show up. Because what uh, Dr. Lisa Littman, Abigail Schreier talk about in her book Irreversible Damage is that typically these girls especially are spending a massive amount of time online mm -hmm. learning all these phrases of demi-boy and transmasculine and non-binary. This isn't stuff these girls are cooking up on their own. I mean, they're finding this stuff because they're not outside playing in the park. They're not holding a boyfriend's hand and walking on a date. They're a little socially awkward. They're tucked away for endless hours with their face aglow of these possibilities online offered them to find their identity. And so we, you may need to do a lot of unplugging in the mm, house. Yeah. Uh, you need to get outside, go on some family vacations, go camping, get them interacting with three-dimensional reality, connecting with their body, feeling something positive about their body. Instead of just like my body is this endless source of disappointment to me, like we've got to get these kids unplugged. Because I'm telling you, this wasn't an issue before smartphones existed. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, people did wrestle with gender dysphoria, but it's nothing like it is because of the influence on the screen. So Covenant Eyes will help parents get a good handle on what's going on there. And you can try it for free if you use the promo code Chastity. They'll give it to you for a month for free to see if it's the right fit for your family. Yeah. Uh, this is on topic but off topic. I don't know if any of you have seen the um, reproduction of Mr. Rogers no. singing the song. No. Mm-mm. Um, uh, it, it's something about affirming you as a male and as a female and my body's awesome the way it was created, blah, yeah. blah, 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 which, you know, back then he was affirming, which kind of tells you how far we've fallen. But, you know, Jason, one of the things when you talk, the image that comes to my mind is you walking as Christ. 
because when Christ came, right, he he went to the sinners and got chastised for it. He loved the ones that everybody else said were unlovable, meaning here's what the law says. Here's what the rules are. You can't engage with them because they're not falling in line with that. But Christ was like, no, nah, that's not how the father deals with people. And he didn't walk in and go, you sin somehow. That's why you're blind. He loved them. He held them. He yeah. touched them. And you're talking about doing the same thing. So I applaud you for that. And a reminder to me and hopefully our listeners, you know, our call as Catholics is to walk hand in hand with people, again, not judging them, but also what is true love? True love is being in a situation with somebody as painful as it might be for me and saying, I love you for who you are, but I can't affirm you in this lie that you're being told and however we want to say that, but I just can't help perpetuate that. And one of the things you said earlier, if you don't mind delving into just a little bit deeper, earlier I think you've said there were other countries that have done this in the past or doing this. Now they're coming to a point of saying, time out, there's a problem here. We need to quit allowing this or pushing it. Can you kind of talk a little more around that? Yeah, I'll give you two examples. I mean, one for one, the Netherlands. They're the ones that started with called the Dutch Protocol, which is puberty blockers followed by cross-sex hormones and then surgery. Um, if you, you want to go get puberty blockers now in the Netherlands, you bring your kid to some gender clinic, they'll say, okay, well, uh, the waiting list is about a year and a half long, so you're going to have to wait 18 months. Then we're going to review your case, and then we'll make a decision in about nine months from then uh, whether or not we think puberty blockers are right for you. And in the kid's perspective, it's like, what? By the time I wait that long, puberty is going to be over. And from the clinician's perspective, it's exactly. Because when a kid goes on puberty blockers for two, three, four years, and now the boy is 14, and he's been on testosterone you know, suppressants and estrogen for a couple of years, and all his 14-year-old buddies have broader shoulders, deeper voices, a little 5 o'clock shadow is starting to sprout. And he still looks like some, a 10, 11-year-old prepubescent boy. Do you think he's going to feel more identifying as a ma masculine person or less? Well, less. And so that's why when we're halting puberty, um, that's actually a disease. When you don't go through puberty when you're supposed to, it's called Kalman syndrome. It's an actual disease. And we're causing it in the kids with these blockers. And so... Over in the Netherlands, they're backing up. You look what's happening in the United Kingdom, the biggest gender clinic in, in, in the United Kingdom, the Tavistock Gender Clinic, uh, gave this teenage girl puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and then she got a double mastectomy. And then this girl turned eventually like 21, 22 years old, and she realized, what on earth did I do? And she sued the clinic, and it went up all the way to the high court in England, which is like the Supreme Court's. And they ruled in her favor. She won the court case against the biggest gender clinic where the, and the declaration was made that a 16-year-old girl cannot have informed consent to take these drugs. Mm -hmm. Now, a year or so later, an appeals court overturned that ruling, and so it's still going back and forth. But she won. And as a result, Tavistock, the biggest gender clinic in the United Kingdom, is now being shut down. Hmm. Wow. And this is the only thing they're going to listen to is money. As they follow That's the wallet. This is, about. Yeah. this is about money. That is the one place they're going to listen to. And so the detransitioners, in my opinion, are going to win the day. They're the ones who are going to stand up, shout from the rooftops, and they got a heck of a lot more authority than I do as someone who never really wrestled, you know, no. with this in that way. And so they're going to speak up. They already are. They're launching websites, YouTube videos, ministries, podcasts, you name it. 
and I think the young people will be much more likely to listen to them. You're seeing a lot more of that, too, coming out. People that have transitioned and said, what a mistake. You know, there was a girl in National Catholic Register that was like, look at, I had the double mastectomy. I took the hormones. I'm now married. I've had a child, but I can't breastfeed. I can't do a lot of these things that I was born to be able to do. She's touting the fact that, guys, you got to stop this. This this is abuse. Well, I think that's also showing us that it's not what we're seeing right now is social contagion in our country. It's not true gender dysphoria because the statistics, right? I think I've heard you, Jason, say gender dysphoria is like less than 0.01% was what it was. But now we're seeing double-digit claims oh, yeah. of gender dysphoria. Oh, I saw one survey where like 9% of the high school kids identified in some way as trans. 9%. A rational person should see that and go, this is not right. There's something wrong here. There, I'm just, I'm actually, it, it just blows my mind. And I don't know if it's because people aren't aware of it, but rational people, no matter where you are in your faith journey or in your political beliefs or whatever, that should tell you something. We've neutered, to stay with the theme, we've yeah. neutered truth. Yeah. So... You can't appeal. You said, you know, logic, common sense, whatever. Right. Well, that's all based on a premise of truth. Right. And there is a single truth. Once you eliminate that stability, then what you anchor to is gone. So all these yeah. things become plausible, which that's true. seems implausible. Yeah. Medical experts and politicians in California saying, well, you know, insurance should cover a double mastectomy because it's, it's like a birth defect for somebody. Oh, my God. <sighs> like, wow. And so when you've got the politicians, the doctors, yeah. the media, everybody else, out and that's when we need to be like okay we need to be not afraid to stand up and speak i don't care if it means jail time or whatever it's not being done out of hate it should be done and proclaimed out of love right yeah i mean look at we remove god so you remove god from our society truth Truth comes out in all of that so i have actually a practical question and i'm not going to divulge anybody that we know but what would you say to a person that is in a family not it's not their direct child but devout Catholic that wants to walk with people, wants to engage with people and accompany them, and has a relative that is transitioning and, frankly, shaming the family, like, if you don't let me do this, you don't really love me, the parents are like, well, we better help and get engaged because if not, they threaten to go somewhere else. But if I'm the person, if I'm the uncle, the brother, the brother-in-law, whatever it is, how do I get involved and bring truth into that situation and kind of say, okay, God, should I say something? Shouldn't I say something? If, if you were going to counsel me, what would you say? Yeah, well, I, step one is prayer and fasting. I mean, that's the most yeah. important thing to begin to pull out the big guns. Uh, second is try to involve yourself more in the life of that young person. Um, and it, it's not starting, okay, let's have a debate. It's like, no, let's, let me go to your soccer game. Let me go go to the movies, let's go to this, let's go to that. Because they say, what do they say? People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So you've got to establish the rapport with that individual. Like, well, I know uncle so-and-so loves me. And then they bring up, and then you can gently share with them why you think that this might not be the best thing with them, sharing resource and be like, you know, honestly, I'm an older generation. This stuff really confuses me, but I I love you. And so I take this seriously and I want to understand it better can you help me understand this a little better? What are some resources that you've read? And I can do some research and maybe you can read some of the stuff that I'm looking at and tell me what you think about that. And so it can begin to be this dialogue where they're not, because a lot of times people detransition say it's like a cult-like feel Mm -hmm. that like, if you don't stay in this movement and and then you start detransitioning, you could lose your whole kind of trans family. And it it can be very hard to detransition to the extent that you become public 
you know, with your new identity. And so with the family, you could affirm in them, look, I know you love your daughter more than anybody. The question is not do you love them. The question is what is the most loving thing we can do for your, your, your our family? And you could say, I don't know if you've seen this yet, but I read that book by Abigail Schreier. Check this out. You know, buy yourself some time. This would be a big decision. Or yourself, read the new book that we came out with on gender because it is mystifying terrain to understand a lot of this stuff. And so it's easy to feel overwhelmed. But, like, if you love someone who speaks a foreign language, you go learn the language. Not because it has to become your first tongue, but because you want to connect with this person on a deeper way. And so we have to do our homework. We need to learn what they mean by non-binary and what they mean by this and by that so that they can really understand, like, wow, this person actually cares enough about me to learn this language that's important to me, even if they're not buying off on the whole ideology. And so I'd say learn the language, learn the train, enter into their life, pray fast, and it could cause family division. But you know what I think? I think if you speak up, you might get resented. But if you don't speak up, they're going to resent you 10 times as much a decade from now when they realize that this was not the answer and you didn't have enough love and courage to speak up and and offer that to them. You know, and just listening to you, I think it gives us a lot of hope um, in this time because we can do those things, Jason. We can. And we appreciate so much all of the passion you put into the subject, all of the research, all of the interest you put into this and all the, the millions of people you've talked to around this so that you can help us and equip us and equip our listeners to be able to enter into this, accompany people in truth and love. So how can we help you with your efforts? How can we pray for you? Well, one, in terms of helping our efforts, I mean, our website is chastity.com. If anyone wants to donate, support the ministry, they can. Uh, we also have a Patreon page. So you just go to patreon.com slash Jason Everett. And if you join at the tier, it's like a $20 gift. Uh, we'll just send you the book for free. You know, for people this month who are joining us on Patreon who want to subscribe for 20 a month to support the mission that way. But, you know, more important than donations, you know, for the, you know, Chastity Project, the 501c3, is uh, donate your prayers, donate your intercession, your fasting, your chaplets, your masses, your rosaries, because if there's any fruit that's going to come forth from the book on gender, uh, it'll be born through intercession, redemptive suffering, prayer. So we need an army of intercessors behind the work that we do if it's really going to be fruitful and lasting. Amen. And on that note, Jason, would you close us in prayer, please? In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of our bodies. We thank you for making us in your image and likeness. Uh, We pray for all the people, both young and old, that they may be wrestling with their identity, with their bodies. Please help them to understand that if they come to you, you'll give them rest, because your yoke is easy, that your burden is light, that Jesus, that you have a plan for their life. Uh, Give comfort and peace to the families, a spirit of encouragement, not despair, that may be wrestling with this, to give them uh, a spirit of perseverance, that this might be a bit of a a marathon, but that you're with them in the midst of the struggle, and to send the Holy Spirit upon these families to give them the words that need to be spoken, the consolation that needs to be poured to the hearts of the young people that they might not despair. And Mother Mary, just wrap your mantle around our families to protect us from the evil one and intercede in a powerful and healing way for the families that may be wrestling with this. As we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy, Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, God pray, pray for, for us sinners, sinners. now and in the hour of our death. Saint Amen. St. Joan of Arc, pray, pray for, for us. us.
Jason Everett, thank you so very much. Listeners, thank you for being with us today. Please join us again next week here in the Family Room where we offer hope, encouragement, truth, and wisdom for families. Thanks for hanging out with us in the Family Room, sponsored by Versprite. For more info, go to thequestatlanta.com.